All right, for those who are sticking around for a regular Sunday school class, open up your Bibles to Jude. <clears throat> Short little book, just before Revelation. And we were looking last time at the uh, the idea of sanctification is referenced here in the first two verses of, of Jude. It says, Jude, the servant or bondman of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified, there, it's used, uh, there is its usage, them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. And I want to pick up with the idea that uh, we were looking at what the purpose of sanctification was. And we were looking uh, specifically, we've already covered um, by whom we were sanctified, and it's right there in the text, sanctified by God the Father, and the usage of the Lord Jesus in this sanctification is what we discussed. We talked about the method and the application being that of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're about halfway through, if you're looking in the outline, uh, towards what the purpose of that sanctification was. And to better understand the purpose of our sanctification uh, unto holiness, let's look at the sanctification of Saul. And if you'll turn over to Acts 26, uh, we can see that example. Acts chapter 26, and this is his testimony. And we talked last Sunday of the importance of our testimony and our willingness to share it, to tell others what, what it is the Lord had done unto us. And I think many times we don't because of the shame it might bring on if folks found out what kind of sinners we were. But based on what we believe, we understand that we were sinners. For us to pretend that we weren't makes us to be a liar, a renewed sinner. So one way or another, uh, our sinfulness is on display. But consider Acts 26, verses 4 through 23. And this is Paul. Uh, he says, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews. He says, they all know me. They all know my reputation, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our 12 tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews." Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Verse 12, whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, from heaven above, the brightness of the sun shining around about me and them which journeyed with me. Now, based on Paul's testimony, we're going to keep reading, but I want you to really think about this for a minute. The Lord visited the woman at the well during his earthly ministry in the heat of the day. And what is typical, not this time of year in Mississippi, we usually get rain, but what's typical around the midday is the brightest and hottest version of the sun. And the Lord shone so much brighter that there's a distinguishment between his brightness and that which would normally be during the midday. This is Paul's account. This is Paul's testimony. 
And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom, I, unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple, and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. sanctified unto holiness sometimes I'm afraid we put Paul on such a high pedestal that it keeps us from laboring in the mission fields as we're called to we think Saul converted to Paul and then he was this great missionary that went to all the lands and he did go to a lot of lands and he did accomplish a great many things in the name of our Lord but what is his own confession here is that he taught nothing new except that that Moses said, except that the prophets said. He confessed that which he was made to understand. And if we're born again, we are also made to understand. Believest thou this? There's not a one in here that cannot go as Paul did and give the gospel to the lost. And if you're born again, there's not a born again person in this room that hasn't been called to do just that. Well, I don't have great understanding or uh, don't dress as well as Isaac. I'm not as appealing to other human beings. doesn't matter. Neither was John the Baptist. Your calling is to go and share that which you've been given. Not to go and share anything about yourself. Not to cast a shadow upon the gospel. But to go and share that which has been given or delivered unto you as a free gift by grace. Consider Hebrews chapter 10 verses 16 through 25. Where the writer says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled or purified from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. 
And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. When, it, when a preacher says uh, those final verses, I imagine the mind quickly goes to, this is now a message on attendance. This message hasn't changed. The, the scriptures are so complex and so loaded with grace and blessings of God that there's more there than up. Oh, preachers after somebody to get them into church no beloved you can be here and never miss a service and still never have provoked one another into good works you can be here and have never missed a service but missed the great blessing of that which it says in the parentheses here he is faithful that promised what has he done for us his veil his flesh torn asunder for us for each and every one of us to fulfill the work that he's called us unto which brings us to the fourth point of, of the sanctification lesson. For how long? For how long are we sanctified? For how long are we uh, set apart for what the Lord has for us? Uh, Brother Peter, again, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, really, I think, frames this up well. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, he says, Who... And as we've read earlier in this outline, it's referring to um, the, the, the same who that Jesus was speaking to before, the same beloved, the same us-word, who verily were foreordained before the foundation of the world. Not the whole world, just the us-word. But was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God and that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth, for, uh, abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. That flower, again, is the glory of man. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Now, this is an eloquent way of saying it. And if you mark your Bibles, there's quite a few words I'd love for you to mark here. Unfeigned, for one. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. And, of course, fervently being the next one. See that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Now, we're not underlining this part, but purified or pure hearts already been mentioned three times. We see corruptible seed and incorruptible seed again. This is something we referenced earlier in this outline. But then we have ever. This appears quite a few times. Which liveth and abideth forever. And then we see the flesh of the grass, the glory of man being the flower of grass, and we see that both wither, both fadeth away. But then the very last line, the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. What's been preached unto you, what's been uh, given unto you who are born again, is something that endures forever. Something that uh, has a purification to it. Something that can be used to salt your life, your words, your actions, your intentions. Why? Because you're sanctified. Because you're set apart. Let's think about what the Lord did there on Calvary. 
He went up. He suffered all that humiliation, all that persecution, all that mocking. He, on the cross, had two male factors on either side. The one he gave the promise of seeing that day in the kingdom. The other, he did not. And then he perished, and he says, for the pastors of the world, until I come again, it is finished. The rest of y'all just sit back and pay attention. No. It was finished for every born again, for every one of the children of the king that were seen before the foundation of the world. It is finished. What did he go through all of that for concerning you? What did he finish? Our ability to, to listen to others share their story. Wednesday night, we're going to hear some stories of missionaries in the field, on the battlefields. No doubt if we asked, Samaroon could tell you some torturous stories. I'm sure Paul could too. Do you have those stories? Or do you put on the armor every day, making an assumption here, I pray that we do, just to be weighted down in the old rocking chair? I imagine the lazy boy flips up harder when there's armor on the person sitting in it. What do you put on the armor for? See, as we go into 2023, uh, it's about the work that we have to do, but it's a work we have to do. The charge that will be delivered Wednesday night by the brethren, the charge that will be delivered in April at our meeting, the charge that Steve and I deliver each week in and week out, it is for us and for the work that we have to do. So what are you doing? It's a silly thing to put on the armor and not use it. It's a silly thing to put on the armor. And then I mean, anybody ever watched a football game and thought about the, the backup punter? Anybody? A poor guy has to sit in pads for like four hours and do nothing. Are you the backup punter? Am I the backup punter? Were we seriously sanctified before the foundation of the world to sit in our armor and watch? Now, you can sit and pray. You can sit and beseech. That's doing something. But backup punters are typically never on camera. You probably don't know their names if there even is a backup punter. They have no use. Consider 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Paul writing again, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. This is completely, W-H-O-L-L-Y. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and your whole soul and your whole body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's praying for the preservation of the whole spirit, the whole soul, and the whole body. That means you're going to get wet. You're going to get used. You're going to get bruised. You're going to be sent out. You're going to have to do some things. This is what he's talking about here. The elect are sanctified or set apart as sacred and holy by the presence and for the service of God. Matthew 28, verse 20, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. What is he doing with you that whole time? Catching up on the Kardashians? playing games if he's with us until the very end there must be a great purpose for us until the very end the great amen does not have much need of using the word amen and yet he does there in the commission he confirms it this is truth he says 
This is me, he says. This is the word of God, he says. Truly, truly. This is concrete. This is sound. This is banner worthy, he says. He's reiterating for the believer because he knew we would need it. That his promise is to be with us always. We should say amen when we hear something that is truth. Not just for ourselves, not just so folks say, well, Isaac's an amener. He's one of the, the vocal ones. Gentlemen, we should say amen so that the others around us who are looking for edification know this is confirmed. This is a familiar thing to the one who said amen. This one who hopefully studies, who hopefully knows the word of God, has heard something he agrees with, heard something he knows is a promise of God, and therefore they've said amen. They've told the body, they've told the congregation, they've told their families, I can lead you in this. I can stand for this. This is stand worthy. This is truth. You are sanctified forever and for all time. Praise God. He doesn't waste sanctification. There's not a, a, a basin beneath us to catch the sanctification that is running off every ounce of sanctification used. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-20. through 20. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor, uh, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, Paul says, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. I always found that one short sentence here to really kind of pop as you're reading through it. I'm not going to say it doesn't fit there, but it's so important it's, it's given its own sentence. Flee fornication. Fornication is all around us. And I'm sorry, it's not just pornography. Fornication is everywhere. Uh, fornication is in the car lock sales commercials down the road. Fornication is in the movie posters. Fornication... Lord help me, is in the Chick-fil-A advertisements. Fornication is all around us. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. There's a lesson here on the body. Do you see it? And Paul says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? 
which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If fornication is all around us and we make our decisions based on how we've been fornicated to make our decisions, we are choosing to bring something before God without thinking. And even good things brought before God without thinking are vain. They're empty. They weren't prayed over. They weren't considered in the light of the word of God. They weren't considered whether they would be honoring to God or dishonoring to God. We can make good decisions. We don't have to be fornicated to make decisions. We don't have to have others convince us. You know, the, the great fear in the land for the last three years, should have been a lot longer than that, is that we're being controlled and manipulated. But who has control over that? You do. Get off Facebook. And even under Elon Musk, get out of Twitter. Turn off the television. Go outside. Climb a tree. Not seen too many trees trying to fornicate me into doing anything. We choose to allow ourselves to take these things in and then shake our fist that we've been manipulated. You gave in. You gave them opportunity to manipulate you. You don't need Disney movies in your life. We aren't required to have sports in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. An immutable promise from an immutable God. Let us now consider the next part of Jude chapter 1, verse 1. I want to read that those first two verses to you again as we, we hit into it. Jude 1, verses 1 through 2. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, which I pray we have a better understanding of, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called mercy unto you in peace and love be multiplied. The word preserved in, is defined in Strong's as follows. It, it comes from um, the word tireo, means to guard from loss or injury properly by keeping the eye upon and thus differing from, which is properly to prevent escaping. It implies a fortress or full military lines of apparatus. It's also used to, to depict uh, noting something by implication, detaining something, uh, by extension to withhold something, or to hold fast to something. Uh, the two that I prefer as far as application to this verse when it says, and preserved in Jesus Christ, would be the uh, to guard, guarded in Jesus Christ, or to be held fast in Jesus Christ. Now, we just got done talking about sanctification, but as we looked at sanctification, there were different types of sanctification that we made allusion to. God sanctified or set us apart from the waste and darkness before the foundation of the world to be loved, to receive his free gift of salvation by grace. We are also to sanctify ourselves, to serve, sanctify ourselves to love others in his name. We saw a lot of that from 1 John. We are to sanctify ourselves to worship him in spirit and in truth. We are to sanctify ourselves to be ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within us, 
with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that our conversation be seen as good and Christ-like. And this is what Peter references there in 1 Peter 3, verses 15 through 16. But much like sanctification, we know that there are also different types of preservation spoken of in God's word. So I want us to nail down this word first. We know of the preservation of the saints, which is commonly referred to in the doctrine of grace, in which God's word promises his compassion, mercy, and keeping of the saints. It is usually tied with the, preservation, uh, with the perseverance strength that we find in the Holy Spirit as well. What we see here this morning is the preservation before regeneration, that God knew we would be his and therefore ordained the events in our lives in such a way that though we were enemies, we were elected to be reconciled by his son's sacrifice and therefore found mercy in his sight. And I won't go too much into uh, what is sometimes referred to as prevenient grace, uh, not because I agree or disagree with it, but that's not necessarily uh, the subject at hand. But understand that the Lord never, never didn't know he never didn't know that you were his. Uh, when we think of the, the prodigal son, the father always knew that this was his son. His son was taking a journey he would have preferred his son not to take, but the father never doubted his sonship, never doubted who this individual was. Now, this is not to say that God foreknew that we would choose him one day or be good enough one day, and that's why we were sanctified. He chose us before we even existed. In choosing us, he foreordained that we would be kept for, this, for his very purposes. He has no accidents. Even Albert Einstein stated that God does not play dice with the universe, and he doesn't play dice with salvation either. Consider Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, he shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have, by whom we have now received the atonement. So let us remember that we are given faith as a gift of God, as we saw in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And we've already seen here sanctification and preservation, but he goes on. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This is literally our why, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 
Now, before we close this Sunday school lesson, I want to consider that gift. There are certain gifts that are useful and certain gifts that are considered useless uh, to some. If, if someone... Uh, it's, it's a very weird example, so you have to forgive me, but uh, an Amazon package showed up at the house, and that happens a lot, unfortunately. But it shows up at the house, and the kids got excited. Because sometimes those Amazon packages have board games. Uh, sometimes they have peanut butter. But this one had a package that we'll just say was only really suitable for Laney and Rebecca and wouldn't have done Isaac and I any good, and Livy's not ready for it. So now you know what I'm talking about. That gift would not have been a great gift for Isaac and I. But it was a wonderful gift for Laney. The gift of grace, this gift of salvation, is not a... It's a gift for all who will believe, all who are led to repentance. This is not a gift that is useless to some and useful to others because there's implication when we say it that way that it's of man to choose, and it's most definitely not. This is a gift that's portrayed before the world from the cross. The, the announcement that it is finished ripples across the earth and has effects both physically and spiritually to the entire creation. Who knows what happened that hour in the universe itself, but what happened in that community at the foot of the mountain, we have some depictions of, which we'll get to in our afternoon study uh, when we get to the crucifixion. But this gift, it was targeted to the elect, but the elect have no idea what the limitations of this gift are. Um, in the literary sense, there's the theory of Schrodinger's cat. I don't know if any are familiar with it, but essentially there's a cat in a box, and there's a pill inside the box that's poisonous. But until you open the box, you don't know if the cat's alive or if the cat's dead. So the theory continues to extrapolate deeper and deeper, saying the cat is both alive and dead until you know for sure. I think it would be better for us to witness thinking that the cat is saved. We know there's a chance the cat isn't, but it'd be better for us to witness as though the cat is saved and witness wholeheartedly and emphatically and emotionally and with all that we have within ourselves as though the cat's going to be saved. For those who take me in the more literal sense, I do not believe in the salvation of animals. I'm giving an example. We'll get letters. Trust me. I'm not speaking to the salvation of animals. But sometimes we witness to folks and based on how they slam the door in our face, we say, well, they're lost. That might not be it. It's better for us to assume before that door opens, they're elect. They're elect. They haven't repented yet, perhaps. It hasn't been revealed unto them, perhaps. And I'm not saying the whole world will be saved, but that's not for us to decide. There's the purpose of a judgment seat, and there's nothing in Scripture that says we're in that seat making that judgment. Let us give the gospel as though it will be received every single time. Let us give our testimony as though our story might be the key that unlocks this election for them, that unlocks not necessarily the election, but salvation for them, that reveals salvation unto them. I don't hesitate to tell folks I was a thief, that I was a liar, that I was raised Catholic. And this might mean they lock up their money if I stay at their house. So be it. Because I'm yet a sinner saved by grace. But it's more important to me they know the God that saved me than the sinner that was saved by God. And that's how we should witness. That's what unlocks this knowledge, this truth that sets us free. 
It's not our feelings. It's not our emotions and our picking and choosing of who. Uh, we, we apply our own election to it, don't we? Our electing who we're going to talk about uh, the gospel with. We're to give it to all. All. Where will the next member of Berean Baptist Church come from? It could be one of Isaac's future co-workers. It could be one of Clark's co-workers. We pray for quite a few of them. It's realistic. It's possible. The very odds that it's going to be some stranger that just happens to our doorstep, way slimmer than one of us knowing someone that we've given the gospel to and them saying, I'd like to go to church with you today. Do we talk about these things? Some of y'all have been in, your, in the same workplace for 20, 30 years. I imagine that's probably way more awkward to continue to give the gospel to somebody for 30 years. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Eternity is in the balance. It's worth it. Uh, if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, it might be 2. Let me, let me go to 1st. First, first, first. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Brother Nate Hilly's dad, um, Timothy B. Hilly, preached on this verse when we were down there, and it's really haunted me since. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abiding, abounding, rather, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is, in, is not in vain in the Lord. We can apply this, can't we? To giving the gospel to somebody that just won't hear it. To our atheistic friends. To the, to the lady down the street that's on her third abortion. To the gentleman up the road who's been divorced three times. Can we not be steadfast and unmovable and continue to abound in the work of the Lord? Because though we don't seem to have the fruit we want, this work is not in vain. This is a promise of God. Think of Paul's missionary journeys and all the places that he went and the places he desired to go. Think of what happened in Athens when they went to try and preach of the one true God. There were probably quite a few, maybe even Dr. Luke as he was pinning it. This is not going to be fruitful. This is not going to go well. Maybe when the Eurycliden came upon the ship and it seemed like all was lost and everything was going to be destroyed. Maybe Paul, uh, even then, Dr. Luke is saying, boy, I just don't know. This doesn't seem to, and maybe the pages I'm writing on are about to perish in this water. Maybe all that's lost, everything that we've done so far will come to nothing. Maybe you will be in the ground before the fruit is ripe. But the Lord's word won't return unto him vain. And our efforts and our labor in God's work, in God's business, will also not return unto him vain. Let us consider these things as we go about this week.